Okay, well, Kinar, I'm afraid it's up to you to tantalize us and make the next 45 minutes life-changing. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do my best, Kimberly. It's hard to walk in your shoes and then run on the call. It's just hard, okay? So let's put it out there. I'll do my best. Uh, um, so thank you, everyone. It's great to meet everybody virtually. Uh, I hope everyone's safe and you know, taking care of themselves and their families. I think this is a uh, kind of a very unique crisis that we are facing. And I think as Kimberly said, uh, you know, this is where leaders actually step in and create an environment and the perspective that's needed for all of us to grow. So I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen. My introduction is kind of one of those slides. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start that and let's see, we should be able to cover most of it uh, in the 30, 40 minutes. The first thing I want to start off with is my introduction. Everybody went around the room. So there's some stuff written on there. Obviously that's kind of from my bio, but there's a story I like to share about me and my association with this group. And I believe when I was hearing the introduction, it was Ferry who said that, that this group was called ELSIG before. And it's, it's surprising. I've gotten to know Kimberly and Ron and everybody on the team for a long, long time. I remember the first time I came into this group was in 2010. Um, you know, one of my managers was like kicking me on the behind saying, you've got to go to this meetup. And just the way it turned out to be when I attended the meetup the very first time, uh, I was actually in transition. Uh, I was at a company in a startup for about 10 years and they decided to move everything to Shanghai. So they gave me an expat package to go there. I very politely declined and I said, you know what? No, no, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want to go. And then I was in the middle of it and I said, hey, you know what? I need to go out, go meet other engineering leaders and find out. And the way it turned out in the first ELSEG meeting, it was a panel of, I think four, um, you know, four people who were there on the panel. And one of them in 2010 was Earl Everett. He's, a, he's an agile coach. I know he's moved to Austin. He's, a, he's, a, he's also become a dear friend of mine. And I met him there and I found my job within two weeks of meeting him. So, it's, so this group has a very special, uh, you, know, uh, you know, liking to me. It's very close to my heart. So every time when Ron and I have been in touch and every time he asked me, he's asked me to do this multiple times. Sorry, Ron, I finally got Ron to doing this. But that's what I wanted to kind of share a little story that uh, uh, for me, my association goes back almost 10 years. And as time has permitted through my career, I've come here. But I'm presenting to this group for the first time. So I'm very honored and excited, okay? Um, so let's start. So here's before I before I jump in, um, what I'm going to discuss is this is more oriented towards first time managers. And what I've done is I've taken, you know, parts of information because management leadership can be a much more daunting topic. You know, you, you start looking at it. I've, I've learned it over so many years by making all the mistakes probably I could learn from all those mistakes, read a ton of books. So what I've tried to distill this down to is a framework. I think most of us come from a technical background and something, you know, we can associate ourselves with is a framework. When I'm in a certain situation, how should I think about a situation rather than giving you a solution to a certain problem? I like to give you a framework in which to operate. So my goal is in a short amount of time, I would like to give you a framework and there'll be references where you can go deep dive into it. So that's my whole idea. And there will be bits of information, key information I want to give you along the way. So let's start. Um, the first thing I like to say every time for a first time manager, this has been very hard for me. A manager is not a friend. 
And the reason I mentioned that is when you become a first-time manager, uh, there are different journeys everyone takes. Uh, most of the time I've seen in kind of larger corporations is you are generally promoted within. And the way you are promoted within is you are promoted through a set of peers. Most of your other people are your peers. And you know, as peers, the more you work with them, they become your friend. And when you become a boss, this is one of the first thing I've seen struggle. I've struggled with it personally too, is am I a boss or am I a friend? And the one thing that you learn very quickly, and I'll hopefully this presentation will shed some more light on it, why uh, you become a boss and you're not a friend, is you have to have some pretty hard conversations along the way. And if you delineate and you keep that boundaries very clear early on, it helps you, but more importantly, it also helps the directs. So in terms of terminology, please note that direct is someone that reports into you. So that's what I mean by direct, okay? So I just want to get this out of the way. And you know, if you guys have more questions, I'm very happy to um, chat about this later on as well. So I want to get this out. This is my first slide. And this is, I promise you, this is going to be my last slide too. I want to kind of get out of the way. A manager has two responsibility, hands down. And they are supposed to exhibit four behaviors in order to meet those responsibility. Now remember, I'm not touching everything under the sun of what a first-time manager should do, but I'm trying to pick important details so you can remember. Remember, this is going to be the framework if you want to follow or if you choose to follow, right? And the two responsibilities are, as a manager, you are responsible for delivering results. And delivering results, not by yourself, but you and your team, through your team. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Second is, it's called retention. And what I mean by retention here, the second responsibility means hiring, coaching, managing, and developing your team. All that is part under retention. So anytime someone asks me about managers, I say, you have two responsibilities, R and R. It's not rest and recreation, it's results and retention. So just kind of get that out of the way. So that's that. Now, how do you go about doing it? So think of responsibilities as what, and think about behaviors as how. And the way you go about doing that is knowing your people. You absolutely have to go to know your people. And trust me, I'm gonna go through each one of these a little bit more in detail. So you'll have something more you can associate with. Uh, second, you have to communicate about performance. And I'll, I'll touch on this. This probably is the hardest thing for a first time manager is to communicate about performance. And I'll give you some tips, uh, you know, brief tips, but I'll give you some of the tips on how to communicate about performance. Third job is you always have to ask for more. A good manager will always ask more of their directs and their team. And I'll tell you how to do it in a way which is not offending, but more importantly, it's more productive and constructive to do. Uh, and the fourth uh, responsibility uh, or sort of behavior that you have is pushing work down, which is basically delegation. So you have to, in order to scale yourself, you have to be able to push the work down. And when a manager scales themselves, they're actually helping the company and the organization achieve more. Remember that. So a manager has a responsibility to the organization. So it's all in that context. Okay. So I got this out of the way. So let's get started. I want to jump into each one of them. So brief touch on this. It's important to know how we got here. How did a first time manager get here? So this has been a, a pattern now. I've seen it for myself and I've seen it over and over again is we take probably the best individual contributor, like an engineer or a technical person say, they did a fantastic job at this. Let's promote them to a manager. Um, if you get them to a manager without the right training or without the right mindset, 
you probably lose a good engineer and you don't get a good manager. So it's a lose-lose situation. But I just want to kind of get it out there saying, that's what you see. I already touched on how the relationship between your peers change. You know, you, you think that, oh, I was a part of this group. Everybody's a friend and now they all report to me. So they'll just listen to me just like they listened to me before. Uh, does not happen, you know, just breaking the suspense, not trying to keep any suspense yet, but it's not going to happen. And the other thing I've also seen, I've done it, by the way, each one of these things, I have made this mistake. So don't, don't worry if you, if you think you're doing it. Uh, they think that they have made it and they start celebrating. And by the way, this rubs off in an incorrect way, multiple ways, one to yourself, because you are just not ready to take on that role. And the second is the team misinterprets you celebrating because they think it's like, wow, why, why is he celebrating? They don't have any context around it. So you want to be careful about that. Now, the other thing I wanted to kind of touch on is what really is going on in the head of the first time manager? You know, again, some things, some of these mistakes I've made, some I've learned from seeing other first time managers. They accept the fact intellectually. They understand, yeah, if I'm a manager, I got to manage people, I got to get work done from others. But psychologically, they always think, but I can do the work better than them. That's the first thought that crossed the mind. I, I've done this mistake probably a hundred times before I learned the lesson myself, right? So don't beat yourself up, but know that it's good to be aware how they, how they spend the time. I've also seen some first-time managers not spend enough time with the team. They think like, why should I spend time with the team? I can get the job done. I will tell them what to do and I'll just maybe disappear, come back in three months and probably everything will be done, right? What, what's, what's there to manage the team? They even manage by exception uh, because they don't know the right principles of management and don't understand why each one of the steps is important. They just manage by exception, which is, oh, someone didn't tell me they have any problems. If they don't have any problems, it means everything should be fine, right? By default, everything is fine. Only when there's a problem, I'll jump in and I'll save the world. I'll make sure my team's fine at that time. Managing by exception only takes you so far. So that's also another one of the not right behaviors. Uh, and then also I've seen a little bit of an internal struggle. Uh, I think um, that the managers could potentially get defensive, you know, when it comes to hiring, getting like someone better than you, they get a little bit defensive because they think they are better than everyone else. Whereas a good manager eventually you learn saying, I want to get somebody who's way better than me. <laughs> so they can do the job better. But then there's an internal struggle that you kind of go through, which is me versus them or me first. And you have to learn to kind of, you know, ease yourself out of the picture so the team can deliver. But again, these are some of the things I want to kind of get out there is are the realities I've seen with the first time manager. So now let's jump in into our two responsibilities and the four behaviors. Uh, this is where I would prefer to spend most amount of time, just keeping a check on time here. So the first responsibility is just delivering on results. So as you can see here, I kind of put down there, the role of the manager is to achieve the results the organization expects of them, not what the team expects, but organization is generally your manager will tell you that. So it's very important to kind of keep that oriented and the team they manage. So there's there's kind of a model on the right I've drawn here just to kind of get a couple of points across. Um, when you grow in seniority, and I try to create a level which is at the bottom level is an individual contributor, then you have a manager, like a middle line manager, first time manager, and then you have executives. Uh, and then you can see the model where the amount of delegation you do versus the ambiguity you have to deal with. So, and the reason I drew this chart was many times I've gotten uh, this question from first-time managers is like, I don't have enough details. I need all the details to be able to make a certain decision. And you learn as you grow as a first-time manager and the more you grow in your role eventually as an executive 
is you have to learn to live, live in ambiguity. Sometimes you don't have all the information. So how do you work on it? So this chart kind of depicts that when you are working in a management role, start to get a little bit comfortable that you may not have all the information to begin with. But slowly as you go along, uh, you know, asking the right questions, you can start getting the details. So remember that managers have to delegate because the individual contributors who are writing code or doing some actual work would have to have all the information. But then as you grow senior in your management cycle, you have to start learning to be more, you know, be learning to be more and abstract. Um, so then what does results mean? And by the way, there's also, uh, I don't necessarily think I need to go into more details, but results are outcomes. They're not output. So just to give you an idea, oh, I wrote a piece of code, I built this feature, that is an output. But what's an outcome is what is the value you created for the customer. So you have to kind of orient yourself saying, am I delivering results which get value? So as a manager, you've got to start orienting yourself in terms of value that you create. Now, I did touch on this uh, very clearly is getting results is also getting results through others. So I've underlined that a little bit to kind of emphasize the point. And when we get into the behaviors, I'll talk about how to do that. But here, please note that as a manager, your responsibility is to get work done through others. There's only so much impact you can have. As a manager, you have a pretty big influence, a direct influence over your team. And you need to make sure you can kind of amplify uh, the productivity of your team. So you have to get results through others. That's another point I want to kind of get across. So when you talk about results, you're talking about yourself and the team. So it's, it's a combination of that. And the way to kind of get this done um, is uh, how do you define clear role and clear results that every person on the team should be should be delivering on. So one of the aspects you'll go into, not in this presentation, but I have I've referenced a book. I think it's Ron's book, uh, Managing the Mindful. I think he's gone into a lot of detail about defining the skills people have versus you know talking about you know how do you define results for others. But one of the critical jobs as a first-time manager you got to do is identify all the team members on your team, define their roles clearly, and define the results for your directs. And when you can do that, the tying in back to the overall results becomes that much more easier. Uh, and remember, a good result is the one that can be measured, okay? So I think if you can't measure it, I don't know if you are actually gonna be hitting it. So you wanna make sure you are able to measure it, okay? All right, so moving on, this is responsibility number one. Let's get into the second one. This is, this, I would say when I, when I talk about retention, most people have heard and know about a hiring. You know, we got to hire the best talent. Oh, I know I've got to retain my people. I think this, at least as a general concept is kind of understood. What I want to get into, and there are a couple of key points I want to make here is, please note that the organization puts in a lot of effort in hiring good people. You know, there's a lot of effort put in in hiring costs, you know, developing the employees and, you know, just the kind of effort we take into getting them there, right? So what do you want to do every time you get a choice between, do I want to retain somebody and coach them and mentor them versus go outside and hire? You always want to give the employees who are already with you a chance to coach and mentor and develop because they're already there with you. They've spent time, they know your product, that you have cultural context of your company. So you always want to invest in them to be able to grow them. And by the way, that's a win-win situation that you always want to, you know, be always looking out for win-win situations. So that's number one. The second point I've seen first-time managers kind of do, it's kind of one of the mistakes is when I talk about results first, and especially if you're coming from an individual contributor background, you always think about results are first, but too often it ends up to be the only thing you're orienting towards. You don't take care of your people. 
I have done that mistake. I've lost some really good people because I did not manage them well, right? So you don't want to make sure when I talk about responsibility, which is a, you know, results and retention, it is both. It's not results only or retention only. You know, I think you've heard the stuff is results only manager are, they are called as uh, the guy with a whip who doesn't care about people and retention only people are, oh, they'd like to please people only, but they don't care about results. You want to get both together. And I can probably give you some tips on how to do that. That's a fine balance. But this is what goes back into my very first slide is that's why you are a boss. You're not a friend. You've got to orient yourself. If you're a friend, you become retention only. Uh, but if you're a boss, you want to find the right balance, right? And the other tips you, I think we all know, teams deliver, individuals don't. So you've got to see them as a holistic unit too. You got to manage every single person, but please note the cumulative effort also has a huge value to the organization. You just can't say two people. Um, Kimberly, you have a question? Yeah, you said teams deliver, individuals don't, but your slide says the opposite. Oh, sorry. Um, I meant to say individuals, sorry, I meant to say individuals deliver. So basically the, the point here is you have to look out for individual performances but the cumulative from the team is what actually makes a value to the company, right? So I think here in this context, I use it saying, uh, take care of the individuals, but the total value will be delivered by team. So I use it in two different ways sometimes, but thank you for pointing that out. Okay, and the last thing I want to kind of say here is, I think we all know that people or the team members leave managers, they don't leave companies. So if you want to improve your attention, you absolutely have to make sure that you're taking care of your people, all right? So I want to uh, get you guys like do a quick check on time. I think we're doing well. I'm gonna get you two mental models before I jump into the behaviors. So the first model I want to talk about this may be known as servant leadership. So the how this model has changed and how managers have to empower the teams. I want to kind of get this out of the way. So in the more traditional way, we've seen that the management style, like when I passed out of college and when I started working, I was almost told, I used to look up to my manager saying, tell me what I do, need to do next. And you know, they would come down and tell me. It was a very tight control. It was felt like almost authoritarian, right? Information was on need to know basis. I was told what to do and that's all I would do. And I didn't feel as creative, but it was very hard. I was just passing out of college. I was like, okay, I'll just follow what they're saying. But the model, and I call it the information age model, I think in the internet age, if you may, the world has changed. I think I truly believe innovation and creativity can come from any person on your team. And again, you need to create an environment where a manager actually supports everyone, empowers everyone uh, to be able to be creative. So the theory why here is everyone should have access to the information again, within reason, you know, HR and some other information are supposed to be kept, you know, siloed for a certain reason. But when it comes to doing the work, the information has to be shared. The manager has to empower. This is what is the notion of a servant leadership. And you know, you guys can read up more on, um, uh, on online and everything, but it's, it's a very good model, something that I try to personally practice as you go to empower the teams. So that's one mental model I wanted to get it out of the way. So you guys know, the second mental model uh, is this has been, uh, when I first read or heard about this, it was very uh, informative for me. So I hope it helps you guys. There are three types of power and I want to kind of list it out. So I want to kind of go over them. So one is what we call is the role power. So what is a role power? Role power is the ability to get things done uh, from the responsibility that has been granted by an organization. So today at Lean Plum, I know Andrew and I work together and Andrew is the chief technologist and co-founder. 
I'm the VP of product development. I didn't come up with the title. The organization gave it to me. When I interviewed with them, they said, hey, it looks like you, you are a good fit for this role. So we will grant you that. Now, just to kind of role play this out really quick is, I could, I'm working with Andrew and I'm working with my team. I can go tell the team saying, hey guys, I heard everyone's opinion, but I'm the VP and I'm going to veto this. And I'm going to say, do it this way or not do it that way. People will listen to me, no doubt about it. But remember, my influence is very limited. By the way, these are some numbers which have been done. It's only 15% effective. So you've got to be very careful how often you use it. And when you use it, make sure you are absolutely certain you're using it for all good reasons. So I just want to get that out saying it is, it is effective, but if you overuse it, it is to the detriment of the team. The second power is expertise power. Something we've seen in, in our software companies or knowledge worker companies is there are some people who have great knowledge and maybe um, Andrew, if you don't mind, I'll, 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 I'll call you out again, but Andrew's the co-founder of Lean Plum. He basically knows just about every single thing we've written in Lean Plum from day one. He's been there since day one. And he has a certain amount of power because he knows that stuff. But remember, uh, it's also very important here I've listed out is ability to accomplish things because other trust in your knowledge, not you say you have good knowledge because others are trusting saying, yes, this person knows it. And that's all has some level of effectivity. I call it about 10% effectivity. The most effective power is actually a relationship power is when you build good, strong professional relationships, that's when you can persuade others or work with others in a way where the trust level really, really goes up. And that's a, if you look at the percent differences, this is not even in the same category. I think it's a category by itself. So what I wanted to kind of call out is what you're trying to orient towards is building great relationships if you're a first-time manager with your directs. So that way you can be more effective in managing and working with them so you can deliver results for the organization. So now, Tom, uh, Tom Delora raised a hand. I saw that. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I love this chart and I believe here, but it's very funny because I, I found out, uh, especially across organizations, uh, the relationship power has a lot of strength based on that. But however, I found out when it comes to my immediate team, the role power, if you, if you, like you said, if you have to tell them we're doing this, you better have a damn good reason. And sometimes the reason may be, I can't tell you why. But I think it's very funny, depending on how in, inside the company, I think the role power, even though it's only 15%, I agree that if you have the role power, you better damn well have a damn excuse for doing something based on what you said. <laughs> Yeah, and, and just to kind of expand on that, right, um, the, the models that I've, I'm also learning is there's some amount of influence you have on your direct team, but then the larger team or sometimes even the organization, the cultures that are built in, that also kind of play in, right? There are said and unsaid structures and processes that kind of play in. So um, this is where I would say that if you have to use role power within your team, make sure it's kind of limited. Uh, but then if you have to use it more often because either the company dictates or that's just the overall culture, then starts becoming detrimental to your team as well. You're right. It, it, that, that also becomes a topic by itself, right? It's a pretty interesting topic. Right. Yeah, you, you want, when people are doing things and you're saying no, you want to make sure that they feel like their um, opinion is considered and, and even be honest with them and say, something's going on, I can't tell you why, trust me. Yes. So, and that, that kind of a, that's kind of a combination of relationship power and role power. That's absolutely correct. Yes. And I've also seen, this is, um, I think the um, project uh, Aristotle, I think that Google did about psychological safety of your team members, where everybody should feel that they have been heard 
and there's going to be no retribution because they have opinions which they defer with managers or senior people. But if you can get that out and then you can kind of blend everyone's opinion and then make the final decision, they feel included. So it's very inclusive culture too. Totally agree. Okay, so oh, may I ask something? This is Hong. Uh, sorry to barge in like this. Uh, may I ask also, in when you work with uh, outsourcing companies or uh, partners or you know uh, contractors outside the company, um, then isn't don't we need to use rollup power a bit more than than with internal folks? Can you comment on that? Yes, I can. And I've worked with, uh, you know, a lot of distributed teams and, uh, you know, um, contracting teams, if you may. I think the difference I see is you absolutely can build relationship power with them. But where you're talking about is protection of IP or protection of certain resources they shouldn't have access to. And those are two different things in my mind, right? When you have a clear distribution of work, access to your certain code base or technology, then you can kind of work with them in a fashion as if they are your extended team. They're obviously helping you out over there. So I think that the, the way I'm hearing your question, Hong, is um, really building good, strong relationship, no matter if you're a full-time employee or a part-time or a contracting company, still remains the same. What you want to create a clear distinction is your responsibilities and the stuff you have access to. I think that's a big difference, but otherwise I would treat them exactly the same. Like, we have contractors who attend our standup. You know, we we don't differentiate when it comes to work. But yes, if I'm discussing maybe some private company policy that they should have access to, then they would not be on the call. Uh, right, but um, here, if if you don't mind me butting in too, um, uh, Hong, I'd like to just relate one um, internal uh, saying within Varian. Varian has engineering sites in about twelve places around the world. If I'm going to ask some other engineer who doesn't report to me or or my division he's, he's a totally different division i'm going to ask that person to do a thing for me my chances are far better if i know that person well enough that i even know the name of the sports team that their son plays on mm. now if i have that kind of a relationship with that person that 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 I know him or her that that well that I even know what their children are doing. That's the kind of relationship that they'll probably do what I ask them, even though they don't report to me, even though anything else. That's it's just a sad fact which we've learned at Varian. Yes, uh, understood. Uh, and and thank you very much. That's um, all, all the answers are very helpful. What I meant was this, right? The external company, uh, I mean the company, right? They, they sort of know in their mind that we, for whatever reason, business goes down, whatever reason, we can cut them loose any time. I mean, it's not completely any time, but we can cut them loose. Whereas the people inside, we can treat them well enough so that they, they feel they are inside, right? Um, and because folks who are on the outside and they feel that way, I found that <laughs> they just do what they are they promise and uh, they don't really jump in completely in the, in the agile kind of, uh, of way. Uh, they try to protect their position, right? That is, okay, we promise we deliver this, so here it is. And <laughs> uh, This is Susan. Can I jump in just a bit? Because yeah. I understand what you're saying. And the key word what got to me was they want to protect their position. 
And I understand that, but if you've gotten to know them and you've built that trust, then the chances are greater that they'll do that favor for you. Also, I've had the experience where they trusted me and there was a super serious problem that they didn't want to make public, but they trusted me enough to share it with them. And then I was able to work with that person to reach a solution. And mm. at the end of the day, he became a hero. Mm. And, you know, so, I mean, it's all situational, but I totally agree with John that if you take the time and know the sports team their child plays for or something else, that trust is going to help you out when things get tough. I want to add, this is Ron, I want to add that there's, there is absolutely a cultural um, um, contextual aspect of this. Yes. That if people are used to taking orders, uh, it's, it's, much, it's, it's much more difficult to bring them into that agile teamwork kind of, kind of aspect of things. At the same time, um, I totally agree with John and Susan that you're more likely to get what you're looking for having built relationships with people. I want to add a, um, a rule of thumb around this that, that for new managers, for new managers, for all of us, regardless of the level of management, build relationships before you need them. Mm. Right. It's, right. A, it's a wonderful rule of thumb to build, you know, uh, you, you may think you'll never need a relationship with legal. Someday you're going to need a relationship with legal. You'll think, oh, oh, I'm not going to need a relationship with HR. Yes, you will. Um, think about all of the possible relationships you could ever need and start building those relationships from day one, because at the point at which you need them, they're way harder to, uh, to build. And, and then, about I wanna, then I want to throw in one, I want to throw in one more thing, which is this, it, um, I like this, uh, these percentages well, I'm going to observe that these are percentages, I think, for uh, first level managers and maybe directors and maybe even VPs of engineering. But, uh, I've, but, I, but I have colleagues who are CIOs and who are the head of a technical business unit who find that all they have to do is have a conversation in the hallway with some, somebody and suddenly engineers are off building stuff about the conversation they just had with somebody. And it and and it's so it, again situational. As you rise in the organization, the things that you, the the things that worked for you before stop working, and that that power, that role power, suddenly becomes enormous when you become a CIO or you become head of a business yeah. unit, and it and it changes as you move up in the organization. So be aware of that as you move through your careers. And I, I want. And I would like to say, oh sorry. I just want to add on one thing to what Ron said earlier, which is as a manager, I found out that the relationships and building relationships with you, I, one of the things that I, I basically tell people as a manager, I might not know the answer, but I know who to ask. And so that actually kind of and adds expertise just, power. Kim, go ahead. I, I want to go back to what Ron said. I was a product development program manager for hardware software firmware development team. And I had to put a sign on some of my critical engineers offices doors that said you vp of engineering do not go in this room because if you do you will set our project back how do i know because you just come in and inquire about some possible feature and suddenly we're off track it is so absolutely critical that you are really aware of the your title clanks along behind you and everything you say carries more weight 
the royal power of very senior people is just an, is is surprisingly enormous. Yeah. Well, thank you for the wonderful conversation. I think this is this is good to get being interactive this is as interactive as we can get virtually. So wonderful. Okay. So I'll move on to my next one next slide. So we got this now. We'll go into our four behaviors, and I'm looking at time, so I want to make sure I'm mindful of time here. Um, so let's go. So behavior. Get to know your people. Now, we just talked about relationship power. So what the knowing your people means, it's doing one-on-ones with your team members, with your directs. And the way, it's a little bit more prescriptive, if you may, from my standpoint, when first-time managers ask me, I absolutely tell them it has to be 30 minutes weekly, and that's one of the meetings that's non-negotiable. Like, you may get a severity zero issue but you're going to try and do your best to do that meeting. Um, and let's talk a little bit about what does the one-on-one -on -one do or why is it important? So the very first thing I tell my first-time managers is the one-on-one -on -one is for your directs because you have to get to know them. So just to give you an idea, how do I start my one-on-ones? I'll go into my one-on-one -on -one and I'll go and say, how are you doing? Or I have, I have, a, I have a couple of one-liners just to break the ice and get started but I generally don't get the mic. I give the mic to the director saying, tell me how's going it for you. Now, just note that if you're a first time manager and you're working with your director for the first time, you may have a slightly different conversation because you want to get to know them. You want to go get to know them uh, if they like to talk about their spouse or as I think we already heard, if they want to talk about their kids or where they're going, let them talk about anything they want to talk about because the meeting is to get to know them. And now it evolves Early on, it could be, you know, different things to get to know each other, but it could evolve as you go along. But remember, the one-on-one -on -one is for the direct. That's how it begins. And also what is important in the meeting is you, you and by the way, this is another thumb rule I have is, I have all my phones generally, other than laptop if I'm taking notes, but everything is basically turned off. So I'm paying attention to them. Why? Because I'm showing I'm listening to them and I really care for them. Now this is, you know, it, it's a little harder because again, it's back to, what kind of a manager am I? Am I only looking at results or attention? So let's see, one-on-one, -on -one, just get to know them. And the way I generally do, if it's a 30 minute meeting, uh, I do longer one-on-ones too uh, with senior folks. But if it's a 30 minute meeting, I generally try to keep it 10 minutes for the direct. Uh, next 10 minutes is for me. And the last 10 minutes is talk about future items. Let, let, let me talk about each one of them a little bit more in detail. So the first 10 minutes is to get your direct to start talking. You know, how was your last week? Or what's on your mind? Why do you think something's bothering you? And they can talk about everything. If they like to talk, they can talk about personal stuff. If they like, they can talk about work-related stuff. It could be interpersonal stuff. It could be HR stuff. They can talk about anything they want. Uh, and I kind of orient in the first one-on-one -on -one that I do with a new direct <coughs> is they have to know as a manager, I'm very likely going to talk about work. But just because I, as a manager, I'm going to talk about work does not mean that they have to talk about work. They can talk about anything else. So it helps a little bit more level set with them, especially if you're a first time manager, you're going to start getting comfortable with that saying, hey, I may talk a little bit about work. I will also talk about what's going on in my personal life. Not that I'm, I'm like completely shielded, but note that's how I'm going to come. The last 10 minutes is very important. And I think for first time managers, just being aware of it, it's important how you act on it as you grow in your role as a manager, you'll know is talk about anything related to the future. 
And I'll give you a couple examples. One of the things I've heard constantly, and by the way, this is a mistake I've made too, is I've talked less about how to grow my team members into the next level, whatever is the next level maybe. So these 10 minutes are actually a placeholder to start talking about what's next. It could be a tough project that they want to make sure that they learn more about it. It could be a new customer facing issue that they don't have visibility, but they are very keenly interested in helping out. And you can kind of start talking about that. It could be, hey, I'm a software engineer one. I want to become a software engineer two, maybe in a year down the line. Can we chat about it? This placeholder every week continues to remind the manager and the direct saying, I care for you and I'm helping you every week to grow to the next level. It's not every six months or every year when we get to the performance review, that's when we're going to talk about what do you want to do next. We talk about it every week. And then you'll find eventually as you go along, everybody has a very different mix, but it all starts blending in, you know? Then they will talk about within the first 10 minutes, they may talk about a good opportunity or a good project they may want to work on rather than talking the last 10 minutes and it all starts blending in. But just remember the, the big part, and I'll give you even some percentages on how effective each one of the behaviors are. This is probably the most effective thing if you can do. As a manager, if you want to work on the first behavior, I strongly recommend to get started with the one-on-ones. Weekly, 30 minutes, one-on-ones, and this should be on your calendar, okay? All right, so let's- and, the... I just want to add on one thing. Uh, yeah. uh, with that, it's even more important when you're working with remote teams, if you have remote people, be on time and act and let them know you're paying attention. It's yeah. very important. And also, let me just mention uh, that we only have about six more minutes. And uh, it's not a hard stop because we have a little bit of buffer in there. And I will also say that um, some of the people I've worked with in the Silicon Valley said the last time they had a one-on-one -on -one with their manager was six months ago. Wow. Yeah, if I could just reinforce one thing that Kanar's already said, which is, you, if you have declared one-on-ones, you either have them or you don't have them. So if you have them on the calendar, then keep them because the number one goal of one-on-ones is to show them that they matter. And if you keep rescheduling, then what you are doing is the exact opposite. You are demonstrating to them how many things are more important than they are. So if you put a one-on-one -on, -one on the calendar, you know, stuff's going to come up and, and if you have good relationships, people will understand to a degree, but that better be rare. And you, they better feel you, you know, turning over the tables and doing what you need to do to get it back on the counter, uh, calendar and live up to it. Otherwise, you've communicated exactly the opposite of what that goal is and you are turning down communication rather than building it up. Yeah, completely agree to that. You know, they only have so many strikes. You don't want to overuse your rescheduling it. But uh, that's one of the reasons I kind of emphasize saying it's a non-negotiable meeting because everybody then knows and trusts that the one-on-one is going to happen. Okay. Um, and in the interest of time, I'm going to cover the second behavior more in depth. And then the other two, I'm going to maybe skim through it a little bit. But this is another big one. And I think I touched on it before is communicate about performance. So behavior number two is about giving feedback. So let's talk about it a little bit. Feedback encourages effective future behavior. So I try to do probably my best impersonation on the side here, and I'll, I'll walk you through maybe a couple examples here. So let's take an example of your direct coming maybe late to meetings. And it's not just once or twice. Now you're seeing, starting to see it become a pattern, right? And what you want to do is 
Nobody can go change the past, which is what I was trying to draw here. A certain behavior that you would like to change is, hey, please be on time. Now I know that I cannot change the past. So what you want to do is give the feedback in such a way that the person exactly, you know, gets the feedback in a positive note. You don't want to necessarily harp on saying, you're always late. I don't see you ever on time and you're never going to get better. That's not a good feedback. What you want to give a feedback, and I've listed on some steps here is, you got to ask, and, and this is kind of, I, I've, over the course of years, I've become a little bit more subtle, but something to the effect saying, hey, can I give you some feedback? And if the person is really busy, they are kind of tuned out, they will say, no, nah, not really. Happens rare, sometimes it happens. Then you stop, you don't give the feedback at that time. The primary reason being, your the responsibility as a manager is that the behavior should be understood and you want to change the behavior. If they're not ready to take it right now, don't give it at that time. But most of the times, about 90% or more, I've heard my director go and say, yes, please tell me. And when you tell them, you describe the behavior in detail saying, hey, I've seen you for three meetings. You walked in, first meeting, you were a couple of minutes late, third meeting, you were like about five minutes late and whatnot. And then what is the impact of that? Then you're going to say, hey, you are a first line manager. Your team's already there. You're not showing up is not setting a good role model. And second, you already missed the agenda part of it. So you ask some questions you're already discussing the first five minutes and we had to re-repeat it just for you. It did not have enough effective use of time for everyone else. So you describe that. And then you say what the effective behavior should be. So going forward, I would like to be on time. So, you know, that's kind of the step. Now, as you become a more seasoned manager, the steps become a little bit more invisible. They become a little bit more second nature to you. But for a first time manager, I like to call it out that those are the steps you need to follow. You need to start to get better at it. And remember the overall goal is to take a certain behavior, which may not be most ideal, but you want to implement it for the future for the right behaviors that you want. And the other thing we also do is if there are certain behaviors someone's already exhibiting, it, nobody's stopping you from giving a positive feedback. You don't always have to give a negative feedback. You can give a positive feedback. Hey, this project was really hard. You went over and beyond without me asking. Wonderful job. I want you to keep doing more of this, right? So it, it supports the your directs and your employees from saying, oh, my manager actually saw this. They really care. Again, it's back to, oh, they saw this. They care for it. They pat me on the back and I should continue doing that. There are even times I can even go and say where a, a, you know, a positive feedback has have even more effect on motivation and retention than sometimes money can. You know, again, it goes back to caring, showing that you are at least supporting them in that. Now, a couple of uh, key things here is um, the tactical feedback. Again, I talked about being on time or not. I generally give tactical feedbacks right away. I don't even wait for my one-on-ones. You know, I see somebody, I'll pull them aside. You know, if it's a negative feedback, I like to give it in private, not in front of everyone. But if it's a positive feedback, I like to give it in a group setting because I like a group to have that behavior saying, hey, you did a wonderful job and everybody should hear that. But if it's a negative feedback, I like to give it in private. But again, the tactical feedbacks, I give it like right away, you know, when I see it generally within a day or so. But if it's more strategic, like if I've seen a pattern, somebody's actually, even after telling them they're still not showing up on time, then I bring it up in my one-on-ones and I say, Hey, now I've seen it happen more than four or five times. Can we please talk about this? And then it becomes an agenda for my one. So this is how it kind of tags back in there. And the last thing I'll say here is for the feedbacks, 
I always encourage my first time managers to start with positive feedback because it's the easier thing to do. It kind of gets you in, it gets your direct to start accepting feedback and it gets your manager a little bit oriented to this process by saying, well, that's an easy thing. Okay, I can give positive feedback and they won't necessarily react to me and I don't know what to do if they react. So it kind of gets you in a little bit. So you start with positive and then you graduate to the negative feedback. So um, I know it's almost 6.30. So Kimberly, can I go maybe five minutes more further? Okay, perfect. Um, so this is another topic I want to spend a little bit more time and the other two behaviors I'm going to run through a little bit fast. So what is the behavior? That's another question I get asked quite a bit from first-time managers. So words you say, okay? How you say them. I'm going to try and do my best on the camera to act it out as well as I can. Facial expressions, body language, and work products. So let's say this. My manager asked him and asked me saying, Kinar, uh, this is a great project. I think you should do it. And let's assume I already have five projects on my plate. So this is another project you're getting added. And I could soon say, yeah, I'm super excited. I want to do it. Or yeah, right. I got to do one more project. Really? You see how the words could have a different impact on you. And, and you want to be very careful the words you say, because that is a behavior. Now, how you say them, and I kind of did that already is, um, you can go and say them is like, yeah, uh, someone's not on time or my manager tells me, Hey, Kinar, you got to be on time. I'm like, you're right. I was late only like twice. So what's the big deal? Or the other way to say this, Hey, thank you for the feedback. I see I was late. Did that have too many unintended consequences? How you say them matters. You got to choose your words, right? You know, and you, how you say them is very, very important. Facial expressions. Hey, take the sixth project on top of everything else. Sure, I'll take it. That's one way to say it. Or rolling your eyes like, yeah, right. One more project. Yeah, he only delegates. He doesn't do anything else, right? And you can't roll your eyes. That is a work product, okay? Remember, how you say it is very important. Your facial expression is a part of your behavior. Body language. You know, you're sitting uptight and you're saying, yes, I do agree with you or I disagree with you and let's talk about it or something like this. Oh my God, there's another project now. I got to do that. Really? Is that what you're talking about? So you got to make sure your body language is speaking the right way that you want to communicate. So body language is also part of your behavior. You've got to be very careful about that. And the last thing, which I, I do believe that the work product is where the most of the focus is, is the quality of the work that you deliver. If you've been given a certain task, if you don't deliver on a call today, that's a behavior too. So I just want to make sure in the interest of time, I'm going to run fast, but note these and happy to chat more about this later. Um, this is, uh, so the next behavior, behavior number three is ask for more. Uh, it's about coaching. So I'm going to run through this really fast. I know we are, we are a little bit out of time and I'll, I'll tell you the reasons why I'm running through this fast. So coaching, uh, a, a first time manager has to be able to coach their employees because it encourages improved capability. You know, your directs at least start becoming better. You've got to coach them to be better. Why? Because it improves, uh, you know, uh, it is a self-improvement exercise. The more productive they become, the better it is for you, for your direct and the organization. So you have to kind of work on it. And I've listed out some steps here is there is a certain way to approach this. When you're doing, when you're doing coaching, you would ask, what is the goal of this coaching? You know, what are some of the resources I can use to brainstorm? How do you plan the next deliverables and how do you act and report on it? Right? So there are certain steps as I said, I'm skimming through this a little bit fast, but here's a quick way to get started. This is the cheat sheet at the bottom, the curiosity part, right? Um, ask your direct, what do they think when it comes to a certain problem, rather than you giving it, ask them, what do they feel? Because you know, it kind of get them into this mode of 
starting to think like you do. Don't come to me with problems, come to me with at least two to three solutions. So you're coming to the table with solutions. It helps both your direct and all. So this is another coaching exercise, both for your first time manager and your direct. So I'll run through my last one. Push work down. This is probably even harder than coaching. I've seen the first time managers, because remember again, they feel like they can do the job better than anyone else. They keep on taking work on themselves rather than giving anybody else work. So they do not delegate. And what does delegation do? It encourages increased productivity. You know, again, you want to be more productive as a team. So the way I do it again, you, you might have now seen a pattern when giving feedback and here it is, state your desire for help. And you basically pause, make sure they are ready to take on this work. Because if they don't take on the work, you know, then there's no point in giving the work to them. And then the big job, I think we all know as managers and leaders is explain the why. You don't have to tell them how, you have to tell them why this needs to be done. They need to have all the context for it. Uh, ask for specific acceptance. So you have to tell them yes or no. Please tell me you, you feel comfortable taking this on. This is your skill set. Yes or no. Describe the task and then do the reporting. And if they decide, so here's the cheat sheet at the bottom of it now is um, the one of the early things the first time manager can say, oh, that's a lot of work pushing the work down. They don't really get the work done as good as I would have. And it's going to slow us down in the short term and all of that. Yes, all of those are true. But why are you doing this? A temporary drop in productivity will eventually increase the productivity. So you are focused on the future. Focus on the future. Yeah, Kimberly, go ahead. Um, sorry, do you have a... Okay. No, sorry, we just have to wrap it up. People can have a bio break before we get okay. started. Again. All right. So a um, couple of final thought. Um, as, a, um, as a first time manager, you are very worried about how you are perceived and who gets the credit. So one thing I want to get it out of the way, it took me a little while is it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. Okay. Make this your mantra. Okay. Because the better you make it, the faster you're going to be. Okay. You're going to, you're going to be very productive. You're going to be very nice. And the last thing I want to show you guys quickly is this has been actually been very well, uh, you know, articulated. And there are a lot of uh, people who figured this out. If you do one-on-ones, you can be 40% effective as a first time manager. If you do communicate performance or feedback, you can be 30% more. So even if you do the first two, for the first time manager, ask them to do one-on-one and get feedback. That's 70% effectiveness as a first time manager. The other two are there, but not as much. So recap, this was my first slide, which I told you guys, achieve your results. That's your responsibility one, retain your people. And then behaviors, get to know your people, communicate performance, coaching and delegation. And these are the two references I'm gonna leave you guys with. So that's it. Thank you so much.